what we do from a quant perspective is almost the same thing. We're looking at what an investment analyst looks at. We look at value. We look at growth. We look at profitability. We look at the company's, um, something we add is actually analyst EPS revisions. So we're looking at the entire analyst community and the estimates that they have on companies. So that's something that we add into it. But when we take all those sort of uh, core investment characteristics, instead of manually checking it out for a company and looking at the PE ratio or the price to sales or the revenue growth rate, as an analyst would, we have computers do it for us. This is the Definitely Uncertain podcast brought to you by Goldrock Capital. Each week, we look at how high net worth families can improve their lives, decisions, and investments in a deeply uncertain world. We always aim to provide practical information, even if we can't offer specific investment advice. This is the Definitely Uncertain podcast, and my name is Darren Rockman, and I'm a partner at Goldrock Capital the more than 20-year-old multifamily office servicing high net worth families in Israel and around the world. And I am very pleased to have as a guest today on the podcast, Stephen Kress. Hi, Stephen. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, thank you for coming on. So Stephen is the head of quantitative strategies at Seeking Alpha, which many of our listeners will know and love. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that soon. Uh, prior to joining Seeking Alpha, he ran his own hedge fund called Crest Capital Management. And before that, he was the head of international business development at Northern Trust. And most of his career, prior to both of those, um, he was running a prop desk at Morgan Stanley and um, has really, which I think laid the foundation um, for what we're going to talk about today. And what we're going to talk about is quantitative investing, um, because that's the area that Stephen focuses on um, within uh, Seeking Alpha. So um, let's get into it. Uh, Steve, tell us in simple terms, what is quant investing? Oh, well, I'm really glad you asked that because many people get scared by the word quant. Uh, often when we first put it onto the platform at Seeking Alpha, there was this thought that people were actually scared to hit the quant button. Uh, out of fear for not knowing what yeah, it was. Yeah, blow their computer up or something, yeah. Just something that they would not understand. But it, it really, uh, from my perspective, uh, it's not that complex. You look at a company, you assess it based on its fundamentals as a research analyst. And really what Quant is, is sort of like a fundamental investment analyst on steroids. Most investment research analysts will take a look at a company and they'll compare it to a sector. They won't write about every company in the sector. Most analysts will look at maybe 15 stocks to maybe 20 stocks that they'll cover closely. And they'll write individual research reports on these stocks. Okay. What we do from a quant perspective is almost the same thing. We're looking at what an investment analyst looks at. We look at value. We look at growth. We look at profitability. We look at the company's um Something we add is actually analyst EPS revisions. So we're looking at the entire analyst community and the estimates that they have on companies. So that's something that we add into it. But when we take all those sort of uh, core investment characteristics, instead of manually checking it out for a company and looking at the PE ratio or the price to sales or the revenue growth rate, as an analyst would, we have computers do it for us. 
And okay. this gives us the ability not only to look at our single stock or maybe 15 companies in a sector, we could look at all companies in a sector and we could look at all stocks. And we set up our algorithm so it brings in the data every single day. So we're looking at cash flow, income statements, balance sheets, and all the core metrics for a company, the value metrics, the growth metrics, the profitability metrics. And through the power of computers, we assess that data every single day, it gets refreshed. And to make it easy for us to understand, we put scores on those metrics. And once we put the scores on the metrics, we take the total and we can identify how a company looks relative to its sector. So we can actually rank it. What's number one? What's number two? What's number three? What's number four? Okay. Uh, and that's really quite an uh, analysis. That's right. the power of computers and processing that information. Okay. Now, you, you guys didn't invent quant analysis. Take us back a little bit. Um, how, you know, where does quant analysis come from? How long has it been used in, in stock picking and in, in investing? And you know, how did it end up um, in the Seeking Alpha platform? Yeah, that actually makes me feel kind of old, at least. <laughs> oh, that wasn't the intention, Steve. You know, for those of you who can see the video, Steve is a young and sprightly individual. Um, you know, when I when I really started this, uh, I think I I was an investment analyst. I worked in a research department, uh, what now is Wachovia Bank in the United States. Okay. They bought uh, Prudential, and I worked at Prudential as an analyst. And when I was there, that's sort of how I got the groundwork in learning how to cover, you know, one single stock at a time, how to compare it. And I started to got familiar, you know, with the data, the metrics. And uh, we actually didn't have the power of computer processing when it started. You, we actually, you were still, you were still had it like, you know, you were chiseling on it onto a, you know, a, a slab of stone in those days, right? We were chiseling away. And I remember <laughs> how excited I was when we got floppy disks that Ooh, had data. Oh, yeah, floppy disks. They were great. So in a way, um, I, I sort of emerged with uh, data coming forward in user-friendly formats. And it eventually evolved from um, IO reports to floppy disks to being able to get the data online. And when we got the data online, eventually we were able to create algorithms. So I certainly did not uh, invent quant. There were a couple of people who were ahead of me and had the foresight to start hedge funds very, very early. And those are actually some of the largest hedge funds in the world now. You have Renaissance and Bridgewater, which yep. are all quant oriented. Uh, I decided to sort of stay in the research mode on sell side. And I worked for uh, Morgan Stanley, where I really built out my quant algorithms initially. Um, so I didn't discover the quant, but I was very early in the process of quant. Right. And um, I, you know, funny, it's funny. David Jackson is the founder of Seeking Alpha. And he actually worked at Morgan Stanley when I worked there. So nice. our, our time knowing each other was actually before Seeking Alpha. And uh, I remember him one time saying when he was creating Seeking Alpha, he did it because he felt he was fairly lazy and he wanted all the information he wanted right in front of him. <laughs> and, and I can almost say the same thing about uh, Quant. I really wanted an easy way to identify the best companies without having to do a lot of readings, radial reports all the time. So I was able to set these algorithms up to get that instant characterization of what I wanted to see. And what we have on Seeking Alpha's platform now is a really easy way to use quant. So we, 
you know, display in a, a very colorful format uh, the core factors of value, growth, profitability, momentum, and then the overall rating buy, sell, or hold. So you can see quite clearly how that quant comes together. And right. the scores, instead of being data, we're looking at alphabet, alphabetical grades, like A plus, A, B, C, D. Making and we it simply, more accessible to a, to a general public of investors who are not necessarily specialists. Right. So as soon as you see PE, if you see it's an A plus, you know it's silly. It's better than the rest of the sector. Right. And, you and, see and, and, and fundamentally, you know, you, you, you talked about firms like Renaissance, um, yeah. who, who you're obviously, you know, they're, they're not using A, B, and C. They're, they're probably doing something a little bit more sophisticated. But fundamentally, is it the same thing? Is it the same logic? Is it the same types of algorithms? Yeah, very, as you would very much so. Quant firms? Very, very much so. Um, we, I, I would almost say what we're doing at Seeking Alpha is actually a little bit more complex because we're taking that end data point, which is called the Z-score. And even as a quant analyst, I look at Z-scores, you know, I'll go nuts. Just look at Z-scores all day long. Right. Um, so what we do at Seeking Alpha was we, act, we actually interpret that data point, that Z-score, and we do that through that letter grade. So we convert the scores that Renaissance and Bridgewater use into very easy format for anybody to understand. So you instantly know, is that ROE or is that EBITDA, EBITDA stronger or weaker than the sector? And you can see it instantly with the letter grades. So we actually go a step above and beyond right. uh, what you would have at a Renaissance or Bridgewater. However, they're right. running the money for it. And people who like to use Seeking Alpha like to run their own money or at least have the benefit of doing some of their own research. Right. So, so that, that leads me nicely into the next question. Um, investors who want to use quant analytics as part of their uh, investment strategy, how do they mesh that in with all of the other inputs, news, stock price information, analyst coverage, chats by the water cooler with their friends about, you know, what they're doing in the markets. Um, how does that fit in? What place, what role does it play? What place does it take in the decision-making process? I actually think the, the answer is way easier than most people know. Um, the best way to really use it is if you have a portfolio of stocks, right when you get to the Seeking Alpha platform, uh, there's a portfolio tool. So all you have to do is put the ticker symbols in of your stocks. And even if you have a lot of stocks, if you have 500 stocks, if you have uh, an Excel sheet that has the column with the ticker symbols, you can literally copy and paste the ticker symbols into the portfolio tool. Uh, and once you hit that enter button, you'll just see your entire portfolio come forward and it will show you what the ratings are. And it will also show you the grades that we have in those core factors. So you'll be able to see within your own portfolio, is a stock um, expensive? Is it cheap? Does it have a strong growth rate? Is it, got, uh, is it profitable? And you'll see that by the letter grades. So some of your companies will have A's for value. Some will have F's for value. You know, for growth, some will have B's. For profitability, some may have D's. So you'll be able to quickly assess the stocks in your portfolio once you load it up. And sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words. And as soon as people will see that, they get it right away listening uh to this what one of the you know, pe people will know how successful some of the very very large quant funds have been in using this type of data to generate significant returns um and and really significant returns over many many years um 
is this the same thing or are, are, are you know is this is this something missing because i suppose very often with the, some of these quant funds actually it's computers doing the trading the computer's actually making the decisions so the computer's interpreting the data here once you finish the analysis once you give a rating score um it's up to the individual investor to decide what he's doing right uh, and this, I mean, it's a research platform uh, at the end of the day, we're trying to make research as easy as possible for individuals that want to invest in stocks. And, uh, when you do come to a stock page, if you're looking at Apple or Microsoft, you will see, um, contributors who have written articles, which is analysis. And that is more of a qualitative approach. So it's somebody who really knows the story, has listened to the management team, knows the se sector fairly well. So that's more of a qualitative approach. And then you have news stories as well. And any recent news or any historical news, you, you can go back in time and get it right there on one page. And then you have the quant scores as well. So you have sort of three different resources that are very prominent. There's many other resources available that we provide that are lower on a stock page. You can get uh, PR releases, you can get transcripts, uh, you can get uh, information from the SEC. So there's a host of information there, but it's all really set up for people who like to buy these individual stocks themselves. So the democratization of uh, investment, the investment world, um, you know, is, is, a, is a big theme. And we're seeing it across different parts of the investment landscape. So private equity becoming more available to the general public through fractional ownership and small investment pieces, platforms like iCapital. We're also seeing it with the type of information that you know, platforms like yours are able to offer. Are investors really able to make wise decisions? You know, does, does the availability of quant data, all of this research out there, is that helping investors really? Oh, I think it, uh, it is tremendously. There is more information available today for individual investors than there has been at any point in history. And I actually think many individual investors have an edge over institutions now. Uh, as an institutional investor, you typically will have a, a huge pool of assets. You'll have, you know, billions of dollars. Pension uh, funds, insurance companies, these guys, yeah. They're, they're absolutely tremendous. You know, the mutual funds are tremendous. Even many active managers have a tremendous amount of assets. So they're really limited in the number of companies that they can buy because they need liquidity. Right. Uh, or if they do find themselves buying mid-cap companies or small-cap companies, they usually have to do it over a long period of time because they don't want to move that stock price of that smaller company. Sure. As an individual investor, you have the ability to go in and out of these mid-cap companies at any point. Uh, and you still have the benefit of the large-cap stocks. So as you're getting research in on the large-cap stocks, or valuations change or growth rates change, you can move very quickly. Uh, where many of these larger houses, sometimes they even have investment committees and you know it could take a week for them to make a decision to move in or out of a stock. Could be even longer. Um, sure. Even if it isn't a long period of time, they still have to be careful from a liquidity standpoint as to not being able to push that stock with the power of their capital. Right. A sort of related question um, comes from the sort of hedge fund angle. 
probably back in the 90s and early 2000s, uh, the Longshore hedge fund community did extremely well uh, by being able to identify and then back winners and then short losers. During the last bull market, which arguably ended 15, 16 months ago, maybe already 18 months ago now, during that period of time, there was the famous Buffett bet Hedge funds, long short hedge funds, stock pickers, individual stock pickers had a much, much harder time and on aggregate did not generate excess returns over the market. Um, are we in a different world now post, you know, the end of COVID, post the sort of bubble bursting to the extent that it did last year? Well, I would say, you know, if you took a look at the last decade, uh, up until the pandemic, it was a raging bull market. Yeah. So for anybody who wanted to short stocks, it was a very, very difficult market to do it. It was painful. Uh, very, very, very painful. So of course, during the pandemic period, if you were shorting stocks, many of the hedge funds actually started to do much better uh, at that time. And then as even as we came from 2022 into 2023, the market has been up this year, but it's really been led by like five mega tech stocks. That's really carrying the majority of the performance. Everything else has just been like a tremendous laggard. So hedge funds have been doing fairly well this year. Uh, and 2022 was a good year. I think as, you know, I'm not sure we're going to have the same type of raging bull market that we had pre-pandemic. Uh, interest rates were much lower. Uh, now interest rates are much higher. And even if um, inflation is not sticky and say the Fed and the central banks across the world are successful in bringing rates down, it probably won't hit the point that it did. So I think we're going to need the market to have greater participation. And uh, I think cycles are going to play a much larger factor. And as that happens, it should start to give the active managers and the hedge funds a little bit more of an advantage again. Uh, I think the period that we had pre-pandemic, again, it was like an exceptional bull market. uh, And I don't know if we'll see that for quite a while. Right. What, one of the other reasons for the lagging performance of stock picking during the period was also attributable to the increase in ETF participation, where ETFs just push all boats up or push all boats down, depending on whether the tide's coming in or out, and are not selective or not very selective in their stock picking. That's not going away. The percentage of the market which is driven by ETFs is growing. The percentage of the market that is mutual funds is shrinking. Uh, does that indicate that going forward, we may just see these sort of big moves in and out of the market and not differentiation between the better stocks or the worst stocks as ETFs just push everybody up or just push everybody down? Yeah, I mean, most of the ETFs are market cap weighted. So people really underestimate the concentration risk that they have with certain ETFs. So if you were like an SPY, you know, an S&P 500 ETF, the top five stocks are 27% of the right. weight. I think if you told somebody that going into it, they would really pause because- Well, it's, 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 it's worse than that. Even in the value ETFs, you've got right. massive exposure to some of these tech names like Microsoft. Yeah. And then especially if you go to a tech ETF, it's the same thing. It's yeah. even a larger weight. And people go to ETFs because they want diversification. And again, like the decade prior to the pandemic, 
was really all about, you know, these megatech stocks doing incredibly well. And I think that's why so many of the ETFs have performed well. As we're going into a, a cycle that, look, I mean, we could enter, we, we may be entering this artificial intelligence era, and it could give a second win to many of these tech companies, which we thought were on the verge of going from tech to being almost consumer staple stocks. Right. Because everyone Util has an Utilities, iPhone. right. Right. Yeah. Everyone's using Microsoft. Everyone right. uses Google. At some point, you know, the growth rates that they had are no longer present because everybody has it. So, uh, you know, we'll have to see what happens in the artificial intelligence space. Uh, I, I think it's being taken up very quickly by many companies. So mm -hmm. the, you know, cash is king right now and those top mega tech stocks can be acquiring a lot of companies, but even companies like Seeking Alpha, we are able to employ artificial intelligence and we're not alone. There are many other companies that are able to leverage it. So yeah. I, I do think that we're going to be seeing a market that is a bit broader that we saw in the last decade. Right. Interesting. Interesting. And, and, and then for somebody who um, is interested in quantitative strategies, what, what would be a sort of first step to then apply that within their portfolio? Someone's never done it before, you know, used to doing, you know, reading the research, you know, what, what, what weight should an investor give to these types of quantitative indicators and how Maybe the, the flip side, how concerned should they be that the algorithms that are, that are supporting them are going to be giving them false signals or, or incomplete or otherwise misleading information? Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, you're following the data and I will say, uh, from my perspective, and I think most investors that want to be successful we have definitely seen the power of quant as a research tool. So I think it should have a very high weighting in someone's portfolio. Uh, it's not perfect though. Uh, you know, there, you, there, there are periods where the data could be inaccurate or there could be, you know, situations where data uh, comes in the form of outliers. So you, you know, you do want to take a look, um, see what the underlying metrics are, see if the quant scores make sense. There are a couple of companies uh, that provide investment research that do include quant analysis. And uh, even if it, I think you have accounts at like Fidelity or Transform, um, they have some quant analysis as well. The real benefit with a quant is that that data, data gets refreshed every single day. Right. So you're getting a fresh opinion where, where you're using a written research report, you may be getting an understanding of the company that the data and the quant does not bring forward, but that written report could be a month old. It could be two months old. So you have to keep that in mind when you're assessing your research. Right. You really need to be able to make decisions based on how stocks are trading today because the whole valuation of a framework of a stock changes every single day as the stock price moves. So you want to be able to keep that in mind, but it's good to get an understanding of the news that's out there and some of the written research as well. Right. So, so not to go in blindly. Um, earlier on, you said that this is a fundamental analysis tool. So right. I want to challenge you on one, uh, one of the quant ratings that you guys use, which is momentum, which yeah. arguably uh, is not a fundamental tool, but you know, a, a, a short-term indicator of you know, just what's going on in the markets, not what's going on in the company. Why did you include momentum? And what role does that, should that play? You know, whether you're a quant person or you're just someone who's 
you know, have an intuitive feel for the markets. It can see, as we discussed before, companies like Google and Microsoft and Facebook, you know, taking off on the back of, you know, the, the AI surge. And there's a lot of momentum in the stock and you're suddenly thinking, you know, what do I do now? Right. So momentum, uh, really going back over a 200 year period has been identified as the most important factor in stock selection and predictability. Uh, having said that, momentum doesn't necessarily have to be short-term. The way I look at momentum is we actually blend it. We look at long-term momentum, mid-term momentum, and short-term momentum, and we come up with a, a blended score. Many people will only look at momentum of its one year. Uh, some short-term traders will only look at momentum of its a five-day period. So there are definitely different silos to momentum that you could be looking at. Uh, as I said, my approach is to sort of use a blended momentum approach. But if you compare it to PE, if you compare it to EPS growth, revenue growth, uh, return on equity, gross margins, going back 200 years, it's one of the most powerful factors around. Right. And when you put your momentum score together, how much weight are you giving to the sort of long and medium and short? What, where, where's the... Is it, is it evenly weighted or, or are you sort of biasing it one way or the other? Yeah, that actually, that, that is pretty evenly weighted when you're just looking at our momentum factor alone. Uh, that blend is pretty evenly uh, weighted. Our overall factors are not equally weighted. Uh, we, we place a higher weight on the factors that have proven to have the best predictability over time. So right. when you're looking at growth and value and profitability and momentum, each of those factors have different weights to it. But within the momentum silo, uh, we do await this. Got it. Got it. And, and then, of course, for, for, the, for the creme de la creme, for the sort of you know, cherry on the cake, how good are these quant uh, scores in predicting stock outcomes? You know, that, that, that's what everybody wants to know. You know uh, uh, do you have a crystal ball, Steve, or do you not? We have history. We have history. <laughs> right. So we, we don't need the crystal ball. Um, over, uh, we, if you were to take a look at our performance or the performance of Renaissance or Bridgewater and judge it over uh, a period of 23 years, you would see that the, uh, our performance and the performance of those large hedge funds outperforms the S&P 500. Uh, our performance is significantly above the S&P 500 during that uh, period. Uh, actually, our back tests that we show on our platform goes back to 2010. So we're using uh, a 13-year period. Uh, right. Sometimes mentally, I go back 23 years because I started this so long. Right. <laughs> uh, now you're really giving away your age, Steve, even yeah. for people that are listening to this and not watching it. Yeah, but in terms of um, the back test that we have, uh, we have outperformed the S&P 500 every single year. And last year was the first year where we were down and uh, we were we still outperformed the S and P. In fact, right. I can tell you exactly what it was. Um, we were down. When I say down, we look at our strong buys. That's what we rate. So okay. uh, we equal weight our strong buys, and we rebalance that every single day mm -hmm. uh, in terms of checking our performance. And we also run it through a third party S and P Global. So you know that's actually not coming from us. Last year we were down two point three percent. Versus the S and P, which was down eighteen percent. Yeah, that's not, that's not bad. That's not and bad. that was the most, first year most, that we most were investors down. Investors would be really happy with that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, great. Fantastic. 
So, so Steve, that, that was really uh, helpful and really interesting to, to understand the way that, you know, individual investors and, and people you know, managing their own money can actually use uh, these types of indicators and uh, best of luck with, uh, you know, I'm sure you've got many more things you're, you're developing on the way and, you know, helping people out. So uh, well done and keep going. Yeah, it was a pleasure speaking with you today. I really appreciate you uh, inviting me onto your podcast and uh, I'd love to come back anytime you want me. Fantastic. All right. Well, we'll, we'll, we may just take you up on that. Uh, Thanks, everybody, uh, for watching. And uh, there are more podcasts coming your way soon. Bye-bye.